I don't think our dreams are necessarily about objects or things or places to be like a vacation or accomplishments. I think there our dreams are really about being the kind of person who can buy that thing, get that thing, have that object, go to that place to be, go on that vacation. It's more about the feeling of that, like about I'm that kind of person. That's what we want to get tapped into. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur, a CEO, a nonprofit director, a community leader, or just an amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal with this show is to show you, the listener, that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Scott Erickson. Scott is a touring painter, performance artist, and creative curate who mixes autobiography, aesthetics, and comedic narrative to create experiences that speak to our deepest stories. He is currently touring a one-man show called Say Yes, a liturgy of not giving up on yourself. And he also just released a book by the same title. He walks us through this very personal and universal conversation about the death of a dream and the overwhelming voice of giving up in our lives. He's also the co-author of Prayer, 40 Days of Practice, and May It Be So, He is the author of Honest Advent, and he is a spiritual director to brave men and women. He is a professional dishwasher for his food blogging wife. He lives in Austin, Texas. He is married. He has has three kids, and his art is incredible. You can find him on Instagram at Scott the Painter. I loved this conversation with Scott so much. We laughed. We got deep. He is such a wise soul, and he's one of those people that I truly could probably talk to all day. I now consider him a friend. What an incredible guy. I know that you are going to absolutely love this episode. But before I get to my conversation with Scott, I want to thank our partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. After a long, cozy winter inside, it is time to bust open the windows, grab your Mama Suds germ cleaners, and get to that spring cleaning. From the windows, to the walls, to the floors, to the upholstery, to the carpets, you name it, Mama Suds has a truly safe product to help you clean it. I have used Mama Suds products in my home for years. I love their multi-purpose, all-purpose cleaner. I can use it on everything from the floors to my windows, to toilets, to countertops. It smells great. It actually works. It's absolutely incredible. You can head on over to mamasuds.com and use the coupon code MOLLY for 15% off your order. That's mamasuds.com, coupon code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now on to my conversation with Scott Erickson. Scott, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome, new friend. Thanks, Molly. It's great to meet you. It's great to meet you. Uh, I feel like we have so many just different friend connections. And I love interviewing people like that who like we don't know each other, but we know a Mm -hmm. lot of the same people. And that automatically like it's like uh, what was like not guilty by association, but kind of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you, are you are you working on some guilty things no, I'm just today? Kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. just kidding. What have you done? Molly, I know. Well, let about? me. We're going to now spend the next fifty five minutes confessing <laughs> each other's yes. Uh, deepest yes, we're making we're making like Facebook real. You know, <laughs> yes. moving from screens to dreams, where it's like. Yeah. 
association and it was meant to happen. It's yeah. about, it's about time. I really, that's, that's how I feel like this is. I really, I'm, I'm here for this, uh, ev- evolution of my podcast. This is now from, from here on out. This is what my podcast is going to be. Um, we're going to enter the metaverse. It's going to be a thing. Um, okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Scott, I'm so excited to um, get to know you more and to introduce you to, uh, my community. So let's start off by giving us the Scott 101. So who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Well, uh, I am, I make my living as a vocational artist, which doesn't answer any questions for anybody, <laughs> but that, that, that is what, it's, what I do. Uh, the umbrella of vocational artists, I think there's like three things for me, which is I'm an illustrator and a painter. Um, so I'm an image maker, which is I'm, I'm translating the spiritual journey or the life that I'm in and and I translate that to images and symbols. Uh, that's what I do. Sell work and, and uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, compartment two is I'm an author and would like to keep doing that uh, till I die. Uh, so, and then thirdly is uh, I've recently over the last uh, six, seven years have been learning how to become a performing artist. And so I, I tour and I do shows and these kind of multimedia storytelling gigs. And uh, obviously that's been tough during COVID, but picking it up again in the last six months. And um, so it's kind of those three things are the avenues I put a little bit of time into each one. Um, Because like a global pandemic, pandemic showed us like uh, one of those dried up, you know, performing just kind of dried up for uh, almost a couple of years. So, yeah. um, But I was able to work on some books and then now back to performing, probably take a little pause on books. Although, you know, you kind of always have something in the back there. Always. Mm -hmm. I think that's what all all creatives have that. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm an artist. I'm self-employed, which means uh, nobody's directing me. I uh, spend a lot of time listening and thinking and, and have, you know, I'm, I have built a career to where. When I say to young artists, I'm like, look, when you start, you're pretty much saying yes to everything, mm-hmm. you know, like you got to say uh, yes to a lot of gigs and um, commissions and stuff. But I've built myself to a spot where I can uh, where I really just am deciding what I want to do. And it's not necessarily what I want to do as much as it is what I want to do, but also like what can I uniquely offer the conversation that's happening in culture or mm. world and stuff like that? And I. Uh, it's been a multiple year process to get to that spot where it's it's more about like understanding the mantle of responsibility and and wanting to be a good contribution. And so I really spend time thinking about like, what is it that I can uniquely offer? Because when I when somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I want to pay you money to design something for me, then that maybe what I need to do at that time or whatever, that's fine if you need money. But when I'm at a spot now where, look, my wife is like my sugar mama. She does really well in her job. Uh, I do plenty fine in my job. So then the conversation transitions to go, well, what uniquely could you bring into the world Mm. that the world could benefit from? And I really think about that space and I really value and treasure that space. So this wasn't really answering your question, but no. this kind of how, how it pivoted. I love it. I'm going to follow that pivot because it's something yeah. that I, I think isn't talked about enough. And I, and I think this also connects with, um, you know, we want to talk about uh, your newest book, Say Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this is a very relatable thing that many people in, you could say, the creative space, the entrepreneurial space, name probably any different number of vocations where you go through a period where you just feel like you cannot say no to things. Yeah. And then you hopefully 
prayerfully work to a place where you can say no to things and um, you don't have to say yes to anything. But I love your perspective on, okay, well, how can I uniquely bring my gift to the world? So I guess my question is really, one, let's kind of speak to that that person who maybe is feeling like they are in a place where they just have to say yes to everything. Um, like I have a a good friend who talked about that, like in her photography career, when she was starting out as a photographer, she felt like she just had to shoot anything anybody wanted. So whether it was like weddings or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, newborns or couples or engagements or families, all this kind of stuff. And she just was photographing it all. She's like, I'm just going to do it all. But she did, um, a, a product shoot for somebody and she just said yes to everything. And then all of a sudden she was like, it was that day. It was like something clicked. And I just realized I'm meant to be a product photographer. She's like, huh, I'm not meant great. to photograph people. That's, I mean, I, I like it. I'm good at it. It's fine. But working with something that doesn't fight, <laughs> fight back <laughs> or like yeah. I'm trying to force yeah. to smile, but she just was like, I loved the the creativity of it. And so she then spent the next few months saying no to anything that wasn't a product shoot and her, you know, her business drop, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, now she's a successful product photographer. So I I preface all of this to say that like, what was that like for you in the beginning for, you know, where you felt like you just had to do it all and kind of speak to that? Because there's a lot of people that struggle with that. Yeah. I'll start with this. Tim Ferriss in, you know, the prolific author and podcaster. He, yeah. On his like 10 year anniversary for four hour work week, somebody else interviewed him and they asked him, what's the one chapter that you think is most neglected, but is most important. And he said, it's the, so you want to get a four hour work week. What do you want to do with all that time? He said that people often, um, spend a lot of time going, it'd be awesome to work less and less and less. But when they get that extra space, they don't know what to do with themselves. And so he's like, you're, it's like a car, it's kind of like a cart before the horse. It's like, so if you want to work less, what are you going to do with all your time? This is the horror of retirement. This is the, like people, people, you know, we often become workaholics because it gives us something to do instead of having to sit. Yeah. The the mystery of existence. I know we're, you know, you're talking to an artist and we're going to get kind of mystical. No, I like it. I'm here for it. Esoteric here, but like. Is kind of like you want to become successful in order to what? Like make money, buy stuff, go on vacations. Great. But then who are you going to be? What is your contribution to the world? These are the like deeper questions you start asking. Yeah. This is when somebody sells like their massive company and then they're like, what am I going to do again? You know, they spend time kind of going, well, this, they, you know, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of like sports players, um, when they retire, go through massive depressant depression and uh, existential crisis because they've spent their whole life doing something. And all of a sudden they're like, well, I have a whole half of the rest of my life left. What am I going to do with it? So I think these are the, these are the questions that we we're always kind of hitting on. I mean, when we're first starting off and we're just trying to survive, those tend to like get put to the background because we're on survival questions, but uh, they eventually come up when you become successful. Yeah. So it was a multiple year journey of kind of pivoting back and forth. But I remember there was a distinct moment where I got offered this commission job and it was like creating these icons for this uh, sacred space and um, these paintings that were going to go into this like sacred space. And it was like right up my alley. I was like, boom, I'll get this done in like two months. 
seven months later, <laughs> I finally finished it. And it was the weirdest experience because, you know, I partake in a creative flow. The creative flow was there for other projects, but when I put my attention to this, it would just, I would just hit this wall. Mm. I just couldn't figure it out. And it took so long and it was so laborious, but at the end it ended up being successful. But I remember talking to my wife about it and she was like, she was like, you know, that was a good paycheck. But she's like, you probably could have made that much money on your own, just doing your own thing. Mm. And that really tapped, like it was inviting me to go, what I want to partake in is the flow that is naturally here instead of forcing something else for somebody else. Yeah. And what it, it took discernment to go. I think where I'm being invited is to trust that the ideas that the invitation, creative invitations I'm sensing will take care of themselves mm, like yeah. financially. So by saying yes to those, you you have to say no to everything else. And I know we start getting into like, well, you wrote a book, say yes. I like, it's funny. Like, I'm not saying you have to say yes to everything. In fact, what you want to be saying yes to is the unique thing that you're invited to do. And that takes a long discernment because by saying no to other things, you can say to yes, this is partly like where I get real. When I say yes to a, a project, I all of a sudden have this deep regret because I'm like, oh, if I said yes to that thing for those, that company, then all of a sudden I have to say, that's all my time. And I have to say no to these hauntings that are in me, these yeah. things that want to come out. And I mean, I think you have to learn to navigate living with that haunting. I have way more ideas than I can ever possibly do. But like, I, it's all this to say is real complicated and takes a lot of discernment. And then I have my own practices that kind of like help me get real clear on what I should be spending my time doing. Like, in fact, I have a project, my next project I'm doing, I've been working on it for like two years and I want to get it done this year. So for the next couple months, I am just like, I'm not doing anything else, but that like, it just, no, 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 no to everything. Because I'm like, because I feel like this is something I uniquely can bring into the world, whether it, the world wants it or not. I don't know. <laughs> That's also the, like, <laughs> Yeah, you're you have a book that you're working on. Get ready. You put a book out, and it's not like everybody's like, oh my God, thank you. I, I can't wait to, you know, it's like some people do, but like yeah. there is this, you just you what you're in charge of is like finishing it to where you you kind of let it go into the world. And then as best as you can go, it's good. I did all the hard work, and then you see what happens with it. But yeah. Um, so I don't know if that it, we're taking a very like long and personal journey and try to make something out of it. There's no steps as much as like for you who are listening, you really need to get into like, let me tell you this story. So I have a t-shirt idea and this is insane. Yes. I have a t-shirt idea every single day. Um, but at my, <laughs> but at the end of my life, I don't want to have made a t-shirt every single day. That's mm -hmm. not what I want to do the most like deeply. So therefore I have to live with the tension of, I have an idea that I just, that comes to me and then it moves on. And I have to get really specific of what I do want to put time into. And what I, what I would say happens in that moment is I'm getting in touch with this inner compass, that there's this, there's this uh, interior compass pointing me to my deepest desire. And what I try to do every week is really pay attention to what that is and then spend my time dedicated to that. And cherishing that. And I think that's the, like the best thing I can do. Um, because as soon as you decide on something, a myriad of other great opportunities are going to come your way yeah. to distract, to distract you from that. 
And so that's what I mean when I'm like, what is my unique contribution? It's like, what is my unique compass that's already within me? And this is, this is like the bigger change that's happened to me, like spiritually, which led to vocationally is what's already in there. That's Mm. called, that's calling my name. What, like, not what do I need to do, but what do I need to get in touch with? Like, I think like, let's take this and uh, we could, we could apply this to business or your work, but let's spiritually, let's take that. And then we can do there. We can move pivot to that, but like, no, I like it. There's, there's an idea of in the, in the kind of like spiritual community I grew up in, which is fine, but I think is lacking is the idea is you need to add something to who you are because who you are is not okay. So you need to add something to that. So it's all about adding to adding better morals, adding better actions, adding more prayers, adding more attendance, right? And what has pivoted and shifted over my life has been to realize that spirituality is not about adding to, it's about getting in touch with what already is. Mm. So what is getting in the way to what already is. I don't need to add something to, I need to get out of the way what is in, what is like help stopping me from hearing, stopping me from seeing, stopping me from knowing my identity. And that is a different kind of work. So, and, and I, could, I could, we could talk about those spiritual practices if we want, but if we took that to like our jobs um, and there's a guy named Parker Palmer, who's a Quaker thinker and writer, and he has a great book called Let Your Life Speak. And he said, when I first encountered that idea, let your life speak, I thought it meant choose something amazing and dedicate yourself to that and let your life speak. But he's like, what I, but when I found out in the Quaker tradition, what that means is that let your life speak is like, take time to listen to what's already inside of you, yeah, to what's already calling to you. And so- then if we move, instead of going, I need to add to, I need to do this and this and this and this, I think there's another way to approach your vocation, your job, the work that you do in the world, which is like, what do I deeply care about? What is already, what is already catching my attention and why? When I look at other entrepreneurs or people doing stuff, what stands out to me? Why am I not like, I love a good restaurant, but I don't want to own a restaurant, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to like, you have some unique connection to something and you see other people in the world and you go, there's something there that I, that I, that's resonating with me. There's something already in there. That's the journey. You're trying to get out of the, get what's out of the way to what's already in there. Thoughts, uh, queries, responses, (laughs) Molly, what do you think? Um, I, love this so much. And please like go the spiritual. It's, I mean, for me, I love the spiritual aspect of it because I, I didn't grow up a believer. I didn't, I didn't uh, come to know Christ until I was in my mid twenties. And so my, like, Ho- hopefully so much less baggage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's another podcast for another day. Um, all of my baggage. Um, we're just going to call it Molly's baggage. Um, and we're going to unpack that at some point. I don't know how much I want, you know, so I mean, I grew up the daughter of, uh, you know, two recovering alcoholics raised uh-huh. Irish Catholic. So, you yeah. know, there was just, that's like a baggage in and of itself, um, you know, yeah. and it was, so it wasn't that I like, didn't know of uh, Jesus and I didn't know of church. It just wasn't, it was just different. 
different mm-hmm. because my parents, you know, it was like my dad was literally like beaten by nuns um, growing yeah, up, you yeah. know, and yeah. my mom was kicked out of Catholic school because she was caught smoking in a dressing room of a JC Penny. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's I so know. funny because if you go to a Catholic university, they're all smoking. I know. That's so well, that's so the, weird. the 1950s and 60s were a weird time. Um, I thought Catholics love smoking. You know, so that's, so, that's it, so funny. It was a thing. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, it just, my, my spirituality growing up was just very different. And, but I, you know, becoming a Christian in my mid twenties and now being in my late thirties, um, I, in the last 12 years, as I've walked with Christ and, and, and learned what it looks like, you know, coming at it from as an adult and what yeah. that spiritual journey looks like rather than like, uh, you know, ask Jesus into your heart and like, <laughs> you know, you'll be saved. Yeah. And it, there's a much deeper, richer relationship with God and how that literally spills out into every single aspect of your life. And so, um, you know, while even here on the this podcast, it's not like I don't only interview Christians, like I interview people yeah. of all different faiths, but I and unapologetically coming at like business from also a faith perspective and my life from a faith perspective, because to me, it's, it spills into every single category. But I, I love the way that you talked about how, you know, it's finding what's already in there and within you. Um, you know, and, and from our perspective, it's, it's what God has placed in you and it speaks so much. And it's so interesting that I'm having this conversation with you when um, just a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed and I, it's maybe it's an artist thing um, because I interviewed Morgan Harper Nichols and we were talking uh, about like yeah. this exact almost this kind of exact thing mm-hmm. in a, from a different a uh, little bit of a different angle. But it, it led me to think about the picture of the body of Christ. And we talk about being the body of Christ. And when you actually see it in practice and people are walking out and doing what they were uniquely created and called to do and not forcing something, um, how beautiful that is and how incredible it is and how intentional it is. And I mean, Oh, and and can I add something there? Cause I think there's a difference there because again, people will do things in the name of God. Oh, for sure. Quote marks in the name of God. And that is, this this is how I and I I bring this up in the book say yes which what we're talking about is a lot of what say yes is is getting in touch with that path of desire which yeah. is there's a whole spiritual tradition about that which is the path of desire that's been put in you to walk is actually the journey that God wants you to go on in your life and but there are a lot of people who will take like I got to do this for God mm-hmm. and that is like working for identity ooh yeah Versus people who go, I can't do anything else but this, which is working from identity. And this is the, and then this is like the spiritual journey. Yeah. So when you're talking to Morgan, who is, you know, she endorsed one of my books, wrote a foreword. I got her books right here. Uh, she's wonderful. Uh, but yeah, there's a difference. We've all seen the the shysters who are like, I, you know, who just feel fake and stuff because they're doing something they think they should be doing versus somebody who's authentically 
living, talking, creating, giving from a spot which comes from like a secret, hidden identity, work, desire, conversation, however you want to call it. So yeah, totally. I love that. Oh man. I th- Oh, that is like, I don't know. It shouldn't go on a bumper sticker and not a t-shirt because we, we ain't going to make a t-shirt. Okay. Uh, but working for identity versus working from identity, man, that is the way you articulated that is so good because yeah. that is, uh, that was me is yeah. for a really long time. Uh, so a little bit of my backstory is I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. That was my entire life dream. Molly. Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> it was my uh, entire life dream. Me too. Me too. From oh my gosh. Keep going. Uh, sorry. Earliest, I love no, this. no, I love it so much. Um, so, I mean, Gilda Radner was like my childhood idol and I wanted to be on SNL. I would write these like sketches and I would do these impressions and I would do these characters. And I mean, I chose the university I went to because they had a really great sketch comedy program. And so I did, mm. I, jo- I went for this sketch comedy group and I was doing improv and I, yeah. um, and that was actually one of the things that connected, uh, um, joy, joy uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, for the listeners, you should go back and listen to that interview with joy. Cause she's awesome. And we talk a lot about improv and kind of my comedy background, but for the longest time, like I, I, you know, I was coming at it from, I just, I got the adrenaline rush of like being on stage and making people laugh. And, um, and I wrote and performed this, uh, one woman show. And it was like, I'd hit this like pinnacle, this peak. And I was like, I've, yes, I've done it. And I've, you know, I've taken classes with, you know, with people who are famous in comedy and I've done all these things. And it was just like, but I was miserable. (laughs) I was a miserable human being. Um, I was doing these things that on the outside, well, because I was, I was using it as a mask. Yeah. Because it didn't fill you the way you thought it would. Right. I was using yeah. it as a mask. I was depressed and I was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with all these uh, this, these demons. I was fighting these demons and um, and I was using comedy as, as a mask. And my pursuit of everyone expected me to move to New York and be on SNL. Like that was yeah. just the thing everybody knew I was going to do. And so I had these expectations that other people had placed on me and I knew that I loved making people laugh and, and bringing people joy. That was like something I really enjoyed, but I, I didn't, I was doing it for identity. I was working for identity because that was the thing that I was like striving for. But then I, I had this like come to Jesus moment, literally mm-hmm. <laughs> quite literally yeah. in 2010, where yeah. I, I came to this realization of like, okay, I can keep busting my butt and, and killing myself, um, push, pursuing this, I can move to New York, I can be absolutely broke. And I can just hustle. And, you know, I can continue to like, hurt relationships in my life, because I'm, you know what I mean, I can work for identity, yeah. or I can just release it and figure out what it is God has for me. And this is kind mm. of around the time that I, um, I became a believer. And there was a lot of other things going on at the time. But this is the the, the summation. But all of that to say is then it's then taken a few years where I've really gotten to this point of like, oh, <laughs> my goal, my, my create, what I was created to do was to bring joy to other people. Like I'm on a mission to spread joy. I thought it looked like standing on a stage and doing silly characters and being on Saturday Night Live. But no, it actually comes from a much different place. 
um, uh, working from identity work versus working for identity. But the way that you articulated that just now, it was like a light bulb moment for me. And I love that this yeah. has kind of turned into a therapy session. So welcome. <laughs> uh, great. So, well, I'm a, I'm a, a licensed <laughs> spiritual director. So this is, these are the questions. To um, about. Yeah. But my, and I think that's just, a, a, anyway, I think that's such a good, uh, it's articulated so beautifully because it really is something that I think people struggle with. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Look, I'm very wary of become being a professional religious or spiritual person. Oh yeah. Because, yeah, because yeah. there's plenty of swindlers out there. Like I'm always like, God, I wish I could talk about something else. Oh no, for sure. But I just always think every conversation ends up eventually hitting on who are we? Why are we here? What's mm -hmm. going on? Yeah. And, um, and so a way to help me kind of like break out, maybe make it a little bit more mysterious and interesting. I don't know. Is uh, And I'm not, this is please say God and Jesus and all that stuff. I it send, sometimes I just say, instead of saying God, I say the giver of existence, because yeah. then it, then it's like, then it, it means that there's intentionality with why I'm here. Right. Like how did I, how did I, how did you and I appear? Well, we weren't in charge of appearing. We right. just appeared and we will disappear. And we're not in charge of that either. There were so there's so many things about uh, our existence that we're not in charge of. And mm -hmm. so what are we saying yes to, which is partly what this book is about as well, is is kind of like this whole dynamic of saying yes to our lives. But if we got into like the journey that we're on, the journey that we're on is that we're moving we're working for identity and then we work from identity. Yeah. That is the kind of spiritual journey we're all on. Yeah. This is why this is why like when people become super successful and they're still miserable. And then, you know, what happens when you make a lot of money and you're still miserable, you spend that money on trying to medicate your misery. Yeah. And that's usually sex and drugs and numbing yeah. and 100%. material things and stuff like that. And it's, I mean, God, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard somebody say, look, you can be around a bunch of millionaires and they can all still be miserable, then, oh my gosh, we'll get ready for endless content about that. I like, I just saw this thing about, uh, the guy who worked in like the super yacht industry who like worked on staff on super yachts. And he's like, basically super yachts for the super rich are just places where they can do whatever they want and not get in trouble for it. And he's like, and guess what it all is. It's all sex and drugs and everything like that. And yeah. you're like, these are people who still at the core of what they want is just to be loved and to experience love. Yeah. So, and I think that's kind of, that is like our deepest journey is to go is like, when we say work for identity, we're working, go, am I, am I loved? Mm -hmm. Not just by other people, but by existence. Am I an orphan to a, an existence or do I belong to an existence? Mm. And, and usually, I mean, R Father Richard Rohr says that we only really experience transformation through deep love or deep suffering. So usually we only get to the identity conversation through deep suffering. It yeah. can come through deep love, but it usually is when like your dreams die, nothing turns out the way you thought it would. You get a disease that you're not in control of that affects you. You you're get in touch with your vulnerabilities. And it's from that spot, you, you find the place from within yourself to stand. That is, there's two chairs in that cave at the bottom of yourself, yeah. which is you and the giver of your existence. And the conversation there is, am I a mistake? <laughs> am I, what, who am I? And then the answer in that if you really spend time there, the answer is you are my beloved. Mm. And then it's from that place of belovedness that you begin to go, well, how would I offer 
that to the world through whatever means I need to. Like, I, that's the deeply existential question, but then it gets into practicality of like, so are you going to sell clothes online? <laughs> are you going to be, an- <laughs> yeah. are you going to, are you going to have a Edward Jones company and, you know, manage people's money, you know, like whatever it is, you're going to make cookies and sell them at yard sales, like whatever it is. Yeah. But it, but it comes from, man, I love what you're saying because like I have a show. So and maybe I'm maybe I was saved a little bit from this because I'm always like, damn, if I would have had a theater, if there would have been a theater club at my high school or college, my life would have been dramatically different. But there wasn't at <laughs> yeah. my high school. I didn't know. And it wasn't until later on. I was like, oh, man, I've always been a theater kid and I just didn't know. And so now I'm doing these shows. Yeah. And I have a show this coming up. But I, when you're talking, I'm like, wow, I'm really grateful that I understand that like the in preparation to do a show, it it really has nothing to do with like, I hope people love me. It really is like, I have, like, I have a bunch of things that I run through before I do a show, my pre-show pep talk, which is number one. So if anybody's listening to this and you get really nervous about public speaking, this is, this is something that I do to calm my nerves is I just go, number one, I, I went through something. I had an experience that I went through. Something happened to me. Number two, so just starting there, it's like, I went through something. I, I, something happened to me. Number two, um, by talking about it, it becomes, it heals me by talking about it. It's a healing process. Uh, then three, by talking about it, it's healing to me and those who are listening. Mm. The way that we heal is by listening to other people's stories. And then number four, uh, this is what it, you want to do this work and this is what it feels like. <laughs> Meaning yeah. like, it feels scary to do this. Yeah. But when I walk through that, I'm like, Oh, now I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm not doing it so that like, hopefully at the end, because I understand now that nothing will really fill the lack in me. And the it's, it's almost like what Jesus was saying is like, there's a never ending. What, like once you tap into love, it becomes like a spring that just pours out of you. Yeah. You can't, there's nothing that you can put from the outside in that will fill you. The spring has to come out from you. And so uh, that's a much different work. But then to work from that place is so much different then. And I wonder if we look at like a lot of people who, you know, made money off selling their business and then uh, they go into this like, well, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And I yeah. think they tap into that. So I'm not sure. Here's the other things too, is like, I don't know if you can bypass working for identity because I think partly working for identity is creating the false self that eventually needs to fall away that, that then opens the doorway to your true self. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if you can just instantly get to your deeper self. I think you have to like work for something. I think that's part of like, and maybe it is the you're making the path by walking it. I'm not really sure. We should talk to, to some other sages to see if they have I, anything to say about oh, that. Oh man, like, that's so good. Yeah. It's, Anyways, thoughts, responses, queries, queries. questions, <laughs> uh, rebuttals. I just need you what to say you, that every you, single what time. Do you, what do you think, Molly? <laughs> <laughs> Pushbacks. I just enjoy that. Appendixes, so much. addendums. Yeah. yeah. Uh, addendums, <laughs> queries. Also, we should, what query is really a word that needs to be like, do you have a query? <laughs> Quid pro quo? I don't know. I think um, on my website, it just says queries, com- uh, questions, comments. I love <laughs> That's it. like on the connection page. Yeah. I love I like it so queries. much. Uh, well, I, yes, I, yes. And to all of those things. Um, oh, yes. And yes. Mm-hmm. And we're a yes. Anding over here. And that kind of actually, I want to dive into what you do with your show a little bit, because I think it's, it's so unique and 
I, I, I read it. I don't know if it was an interview with you or something where you were talking about your show, say yes. Um, and you were talking about how like the goal of your show, I mean, and I don't, please correct me if this is incorrect. And maybe I like took this from your interview and I misinterpreted it, but basically your, your whole goal of your show was look, we're all here. We're all in existence and, um, we're, we're all here. And, and life is just a combination of sacred moments and dick jokes. And, Mm -hmm. um, sorry if any of you listening have children in the car. Um, but I, it really made me cackle because it was just this idea of what that really means is life is the good and the bad and the funny and the sad and the just we're we're just kind of going about and and so often we think like oh yeah i'm going about life and i know exactly what i'm doing and th- we don't we don't we're we're, yeah. we're working on it it's a constant like but we will never arrive like mm-hmm. we will never arrive there's not a single person on this planet who's been like i have arrived i have completed i have done all of the things that are within yeah. my soul and if somebody says that they are lying they are a liar <laughs> um yeah. you know yeah. we are constantly working and working you know either from or for identity and i know that the book say yes um kind of came out of that so yeah. talk about that for me cuz i'm fascinated by it so uh, a live performance is a different experience than a a book. For sure. So there's a translation process that had to happen, um, which I found invigorating and incredibly challenging. And yeah. Difficult. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like it, it really kicked my butt. But that's that's the journey I wanted to go on was like becoming a better author. Yeah. Um, so I'm grateful for the process. And I think that is really a, a key to life, man. This might be horrifying to some of you, but there there is no plan mm-hmm. <laughs> Me- meaning often like when we watch what makes good television good storytelling is these certain things like adding to your life you know like f- your life is a lot more abstract than a well orchestrated and planned eight episode series mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like you have a lot of filler and time so uh and that might even be like horrifying to some people who are in like religion and stuff and like God has a plan. And I, and I think that is true. I don't think I'm in control of that. So that's nothing I need to be worried about or, or obsessed about. Uh, It seems like the plan is, is I'm born and then I will die. Mm -hmm. And that is the plan. So what, what should you do in the meantime? And my, my invitation is I would say, say yes to the gift of your incarnation is that's mm. what I think you should do. So say yes, the book and the show saying yes is multiple layers. It's like, how do you start over when your life didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to, yeah. or like a death of a dream? What are the steps of getting back in touch with that deep desire? And then a deeper conversation about like, who are we and why are we here? And then what do we do with that? And then the deeper level is like, what do we do that we have an ending that's going to happen to us that we're not in charge of? And maybe that ending, or as the poet David White says, the a conversation with your eventual disappearance, maybe that conversation is actually what informs how to live a life fully. Mm. And that and that has been my experience. The show started it came out of like some practices that I had to develop to just kind of deal with depression and suicidal ideation. And then I, I wanted to make 
uh, one of the muses, and it's not necessarily this, but one of the muses is I wanted to make a church service about suicide because I'd never been to one. Mm. And I knew if I was going to make a church service about suicide, it couldn't be so boring that you'd want to kill yourself while you were watching it. You know, like, like uh, I'm always amazed when I go to sacred ceremonies, I'm like, how come this is so boring? How come adults are so boring? Like, how could something that's like, quote unquote, good news or the story of human existence be the most drab and boring thing to be a part of? And it was that joke that kind of like, I, you don't want to, I don't want to have people kill themselves while they're watching this, which made me go, I have to do a comedy show. It has mm. to be a storytelling comedy art weird show. And so, and then I made it a liturgy, meaning I invited the audience to participate as well. So it's mm-hmm. not something that I just do. It's something I, I invite 30 people in the audience to help make it happen. And so I have to let go. I have to like trust them that they'll help me make this thing happen. And so then by doing that show, it then eventually led to a literary agent saw it and she was like, this is a book. And so that's kind of where the book came from. But then how do you, so the show is experienced as a group. The book is like, you can do it on your own or do it with friends and stuff like that. But, you know, the question I always have is like, can a performance, can a talk change somebody's life? Can you go to something that's so transformational that you're different on the other side? Yeah. That's happened to me. It's happened to you. It's probably happened to all of you listening. So then, then, then how do you become the orchestrator of that? Mm. And for me, like I, there's a number of things I learned along the way, which is the show runs a good hour and 45 minutes, which is crazy. Right. But people are like, that went by so fast. That's all. That's the number one response I get is like, that was an hour. That was almost two hours. Oh my gosh. That felt like 50 minutes. What I started, so I, I have ADD, so I make sure that there's lots of things going on at all the time, lots of transition, <laughs> stuff like that. Lots of jokes, lots of serious moments, lots of unexpected things. But also I, and I'm not poo-hooing anybody who's a poet or a writer, because um, I am a writer too, but like, I really think that what, what people remember is the images you give them, mm-hmm. the experience or how they felt in a, in a situation, like after a couple of days, they're not going to remember word for word, a hundred, an hour and 45 minutes of content. They're going to remember some images and how they felt and what it was like for them. I know this. I remember when I first started doing this, I did it in my hometown where I was living and it's weird to do things in front of your friends. Oh, we, all, we, ra- we rarely don't take our friends to work with us and be like, yeah, this never. Is what I do. Uh, but my friend Amy came. And then a couple of days later, her and her husband came over and at dinner, I was like, so Amy, what do you remember from that? And she goes, hmm, I remember you laid on the ground, which is kind of the last thing I do is this like death practice. And I was like, perfect, because that's kind of the point of the whole thing is for you to have the conversation with that your life will end. And what do you hope to have happen in your life? Mm. <laughs> you know, what yeah. do you have? And not just necessarily like goals and accomplishments as much as like, how do you want to feel being in your life? My friend who's a therapist, she, um, uh, her name's Lindsay. She'll often be like, we'll talk about like goals for the year. And she's like, I want you to think about your feeling goals though. How do you want to feel this year about your life? Whatever circumstances you're in, how do you want to feel in your life? And I think that maybe it's just because I'm a big feeler, but I'm like, I think that's amazing mm-hmm. because, because what we say is, I actually think when we say, I want to accomplish this, what we're really saying is like, and then when I accomplish this, I'll feel better mm-hmm. than I feel now. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's really what we're getting to. Yeah. Oh, I would finish that race. And then what would finishing the race do? Well, then I would feel like I'm the kind of person who can do that. So the feeling is like, I'm more than what I think I am now. Yeah. Okay, great. Can we start applying that maybe in smaller ways now? And I really get into that in this, which is just like, I don't think our dreams are necessarily about objects or things or places to be like a vacation or accomplishments. I think there our dreams are really about being the kind of person who can buy that thing, get that thing, have that object, go to that place to be, go on that vacation. It's more about the feeling of that, like about I'm that kind of person. That's what we want to get tapped into. And, and then I think a bigger question is, is because what happens through accomplishment is accomplishment never really fills that. Yeah. hundred percent. So then, so then what you're realizing is, oh, it's about being grateful for the journey that I'm on. That's the best part. Because when I get to the destination, I'll be like, this doesn't fill the lack in me. If you're paying attention as you're on that way to that, that is the thing that's transforming you. That's the thing you're really wanting. I heard that I have this in the book, but I heard this interview with JJ Abrams, who is a prolific director. Big fan and, of Lost right here. Big Yeah, Lost big fan, fan of Lost. Yeah, Lost. And when he directed The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. um, he was on Chris Hardwick's podcast. And Chris Hardwick was like, how does it feel to have directed a Star Wars film? Do you feel like so different? And JJ Abrams goes, I've never felt different after everything I've done. And he goes, I never, I thought I'd feel different when I saw my name or like when I sold my first screen adaptation script and I never, I didn't, I thought I'd feel different when I saw my name on the screen for the first time. I never did. I thought I'd feel different when I directed my first film. I never did. And he's like, I don't feel any different after directing this film, but what I do have is immense gratitude for being able to be a part of this process. And, and what they're saying is like, it's about the process you want to go on. So what I, what I say is I give this analogy and this illustration in the book is like, when you think about your life, imagine it this way is like, say you're going to go on a road trip, but you, you found out you weren't going to be able to make it to the destination. How would that affect what kind of road trip you go on? Like, for example, I don't know if you know the West Coast at all. You can drive from LA to San Francisco. You can take I-5, which is more inland. And it's a like a pretty much a dead shot. Like it's just directly north. And then you have to like kick on another freeway east. It's like three hours. Or you can take the 101, which hugs the coast the whole time. It takes like four and a half hours, yeah. significantly longer, but it's way more beautiful and enchanting. So it's like, what, what kind of journey do you want to go on? I think there's just this kind of like, we're being invited to head a direction. The outcomes really aren't up to us, but do you, what kind of transformational journey would you like to be a part in, in your life? And you can only get there by setting your sights on something. You have to want something from your life. This is the key to life is you need to tap into want. You need to tap into what you want. Uh, As a spiritual director, when I'm helping people with like dealing when they're like, I don't know what to pray anymore. I don't know what to do with prayer. I, my, my, I'm like, deal with your, talk about your, your hopes and hopes and dreams, your fears, 
and what you want. Like, I guess want is like hopes and dreams, you know? Yeah. So what you want and what you're afraid of, those are like the real things. And if I could, just to give some context for people who don't know my work, and this is like, let me give you this analogy. Have you ever had that moment when you're in your car and a song comes on the radio and you're like, oh, this is my song. Yeah. And you turn and you turn up the volume. What are you saying in that moment? You're saying somehow the artist uh, lyrically and sonically has perfectly described what it feels like to be in my own skin. They've given me a vehicle to get in touch with what's already in there. Mm-hmm. It's not the music or the words themselves. It's what it's reflecting, mirroring already in me. And I would say that is what prayer is. Prayer is getting in touch with what's already in there. Now, like, that gets my friend Justin and I made these couple books about prayer. And then we use the analogy of like tuna fish in a can. Tuna is what your prayer is. It's the ever-present, ongoing interior conversation you're having with existence and the giver of existence. Now that gets often locked in the hard casing of our ego or fear or busyness, all of that. And so if we imagine a can opener, words, images, songs, all these things, what they're doing is helping us get in touch with that. Prayer is not the words themselves. It's what the words unlock that's already in there. Mm-hmm. So you have something deep in there. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to get in touch with your wants, your fears, and stuff. And that, and I would say that maybe is the place of identity. That's where you begin to work from identity is when you get in touch with those things. And I think that's the mysterious journey that's been put in you to walk. I think that's the presence of God in your life, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God. I think that's the divine invitation is that. And then what we really have to then ask is like, am I all alone? Am I all alone on this journey or will I be given help along the way? Is there actually providence and you know, is providence working alongside me? And I would say once the yes, and that is part of a spiritual practice is like, it isn't all up to you. You're part of a long history of women and men who have been astounded at times in their life where they thought they were all alone. And it, it turns out they weren't. And there were things happening to them and you'll be given uh, help along the way. So so many things we just talked about. Uh, queries, it. comments, responses. <laughs> okay. Yes. You are, you are an improv comedian at heart because that is, uh, it's called, that's following the beat. Okay. If I was going to be really disappointed if you didn't say queries, <laughs> responses. Um, well, there was, I mean, obviously there's a couple things I, 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 we could totally unpack, but there was one thing in particular that just as you were speaking, I was like, oh yes, this is what it reminds me of. And you were talking about your friend who said like, what do you want to feel this year? And, um, Mm. and how sometimes like we, as we often think that the only emotions we should feel are like happy, joy, gladness, like whatever those like positive feelings are. And that we want to avoid at all costs, fear. We want to avoid at all costs, like sadness, anything like Mm. that. Even though for me, in more cases than not, the deepest places of transformation have been when I've been in a state or a time in my life where I have been afraid or been deeply sad um, or going through very difficult times. Like I think of almost all of the things in my life where I was truly transformed and and I was changed for the better have come Mm -hmm. out of very difficult times, very dark times. And so like in some ways I don't, 
I'm not saying I want bad things to happen to me. Um, I've yeah. had plenty of them. Um, I'm, I'm good for a while. Um, but right. I also look at them differently now. But the other thing is, is like it reminds me of and then you kind of spoke to this a little bit, too, is um, one of the kind of fathers of improv comedy uh, was a guy by the name of Del Close and yeah. uh, Del Close's uh, one of his I don't know foundational mantras or whatever. But I mean, it was um, when I took classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, um, there was I mean, this was like literally painted on the green room walls. And I have a shirt from the UCB that has it on the back. And I mean, it's just kind of everywhere. And it literally says, follow the fear. And it is such a good it, I mean, yes, it's in the principles of improv, the the whole idea of following the fear and what Del Close was trying to say with that is when you're in an improv scene, one, improv is it, terrifying. You're about to do a show for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour where you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. It's yeah. a terrifying thing, but it, it, it gets that adrenaline pumping. But then what improv shows that are truly brilliant are the ones where people notice things and go after things that they might be afraid to do. Um, And I can think of like, you know, I did hundreds, if not thousands of improv shows over the course of my improv journey. And I don't want to say career because I never really made money doing it, except for like maybe teaching corporate workshops. Um, You you tried (laughs) teaching a bunch of... uh, financial advisors zip zap zop and uh you'll go a little crazy um in any event um but but one of the things was is there are a few shows that stick out in my brain where i I can i can remember every detail of that show because i was terrified during it because i was either like you know stepping into a scene because i had an idea and i was like if i don't follow this idea i'm going to be really mad at myself later and it was just like the beauty of that idea and following that fear following that fear and i almost think that in life too whether it's in career or i mean in the last year uh <laughs> we not to i'm not not going to go too spiritual in this but uh god called us to plant a church and that was yeah. not ever something ever in a million years if you'd said a year ago next year you'll be planting a church and i'd be like okay um and that's been terrifying for us um and but a lot of the things that were really scary when we sold our our house on a cul-de-sac and moved to a farm and and decided we were going to become homesteaders that was terrifying i don't i didn't grow up on a farm my husband didn't grow up on a farm we're learning from youtube um you know that's terrifying (laughs) So there's so many things that, but I, I, I think that when you take that opportunity to follow that fear in your life, whatever it is, there is beauty on the other side. And so I, as you were talking about your friend who said, I, you know, what do you want to feel this year? And I'm like, I want to feel a little bit of fear. That's what I would, because if I'm feeling fear, then that means I'm doing the next thing that I'm supposed to be doing. Thoughts, queries. Molly. Molly, that is the <laughs> unexpected best answer I've heard. Oh, because thanks. most people would never choose that. They was like, I want to feel happy. I want to feel joy. And I think that the mystery of life is that, uh, well, one, your capacity for sorrow enlarges your capacity for joy. So there, if you don't ever experience sorrow, you won't ever really experience the depth yeah. of joy. And, and um, don't get me wrong. I want to feel all the joy. I'm going to feel all the joy. But sure. actually, at, this, at the same time, it's like, I don't want to be comfortable. For sure. I have a quote. It's right behind me. I, you probably can't read it, but it says, live to the point of tears. Ooh. It's by, it's by Albert, Albert Camus. And I have it on my wall because I think it's so great because whenever I'm like heartbroken or endlessly happy, I'm like, 
like I'm, I'm alive. That's where I'm hitting it. It's the numbness. It's kind of like when in, in the last book in the Bible, when, um, Jesus says like, I'd rather you be hot or cold, Yeah, you know? And, and often that gets taken when people are like, nobody really talks about the cold part, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. hot. I gotta be on. It's like, Jesus, like, I'd rather you like, don't, I don't know what does hot or cold mean? Like, don't believe anything or believe so like just, but when you're blah, that's when it sucks. <laughs> yes. It's the blah. So live to the point of tears. And I don't think we're like, he's not going, Hey, G- Kanye, keep going with your bipolar mania. But like, I think <laughs> there's something there, but I love what you're saying about the fear. Let's, yeah. let's go. Oh man. Like, Let's go into this. My favorite, this is my favorite part of podcasting is where we stop. We're not talking to the audience. We're just talking. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm glad you're all listening. Yes. Because I, my, here's the fear thing. So when I was using that analogy of, of, oh, let me take the t-shirt idea because this is in the book. If I, one of the things I do is like, I have a death practice, which sounds really like Enneagram for an artist who wears all black, but like death practice is, it's, I'm trying to take the wisdom from end of life and apply it to my life now. And what is at the end of life is regret. And mm-hmm. so I want to get in touch with my regrets ahead of time. So what I do, so if I get a creative invitation, like a project, uh, and this is way more pressure to put on a project, but if I'm like, I'll go, hey, if I died in three months when this project was done, would I, would I be mad that this was the last thing I did? Which is if I was going to die in three months, I wouldn't be doing any projects. You get what I'm saying? But like, it just helps me go. So I go, no, I would be okay with it. Then I'm on the right track. But if I go, yes, I'd be so mad if this is the last thing I did, then I have to go, well, why, what would you have rather been doing? Well, I would have rather, I wish I would have done this. And then it's like, okay, well, why aren't you doing that now? Mm. And that all of a sudden, what appears in that moment is like, that's the thing you should be doing. Well, I'm afraid this is what you're getting to. Of course you are. It's because it's the thing you want to do the most. The fear is not a sign that you're doing it wrong. A fear is the sign that this is the thing you should be saying yes to. Yeah. And you should go forward in. For me, I'm not afraid of public speaking in my own context. Can I tell you, I'm horrified about thinking about doing like 10 minutes of standup. Oh, yeah. And And I know that then that's like, Ah, that's what I got to start doing. I just watched Ali Wong's new special last night and I was, and it's tremendous. And I was like, and, and I'm, look, I'm nowhere near on the hours that Ali Wong is in with comedy, but I could see, I could see how she put it together. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I can see the, I see, I can see the mechanics now because I've been doing this long enough that I'm like, I see the mechanics of this. Yeah. Why aren't you doing it, Scott? Well, I mean, there might be a little bit of season of life. This is some of the stuff that I'm struggling with about like, Wanting to become more of a performer is like, I've got three kids. I've got a working wife who's really successful. I only have so much time. The route of comedy, I can't do 12.30 a.m. gigs in front of six people. That's Mm -hmm. not my life right now. Um, So I have to figure out different ways of doing it. Those are my own particular vulnerabilities. But I, uh, there are some things that I want to do this year. Um, I got in touch with some people at The Moth radio yeah. which has always been a goal of mine and they're like pitch us a story and i have a direct line to like them and i've been working on a story with a friend of mine and i'm like okay that's what i want to do the most because that it's somebody could be like i i literally somebody could be like i will give you eight hundred thousand dollars if you spend the next three years doing this versus <laughs> you could write something for the moth and for me where i'm at now i'm like no way i don't care 
Yeah. I don't want, I don't want them. I don't want the money, which also means like I'm at a spot where, you know, I've taken care of the money question. So it's like, what is the drive? I want to be alive is mm. what I want to be. I want to stoke the fire of being alive. Joseph Campbell, the famous mythologist said, and this is a butchery of his quote, but something to the effect of, he's like, I think people think what they want to know is what is the meaning of life? Yeah. He's like, I don't actually think that's what people want to know. I think what people want is the rapturous experience of being alive. Yeah. You want what you, you don't want to know what the meaning of life is. No. You want to feel like you're alive. That's what you want is that's what you want. And it is following the path of desire, paying attention, getting in touch with what's already in there. These are the things that help you feel alive. I'm not saying you won't feel sad or depressed. That's part of being alive. That's what we're talking about. I love that you said fear. There's so many good things that you said on that, that I'm, that I'm going to take away from this conversation that I was like, oh, that's real. Follow the fear. What an amazing yeah. quote. Because yeah. it's so, I, my, I don't have very many hobbies, but I have consistently tried to surf for 20 years. <laughs> I'm not good, but I can hold my own out there. Um, I just went in California when I was there. I just, I threw my wetsuit in. I found somebody was like boards outside their van. I was like, are you renting your boards? Whenever I could do it. I live in Austin, not a lot of beachfront property. I, every time I surf, I am afraid because there's animals out there. Yeah. And there's powers in the currents. It's, it's a very humbling process, but. The ocean's terrifying. The ocean is terrifying. Terrifying. But what is. So, but you have more of a chance of dying in your car than you do being even bitten by a shark. Yeah. You have more of a chance of being struck by lightning three times than you do being bitten by a shark. You have more of a chance of being killed by killer bees than you do being yeah. bitten by a shark. It's what you're confronting is the illusion of control or safety. So what I love about surfing is it, it partly is releasing the control I think I have and just mm. going, I... Uh, I, I have to, I, I don't know. There's just, it's a practice. It's, it's an enjoyment, but it's also a practice of letting not being in control following and the I, fear. and that following the fear. So I love it so much. Yeah. I want to make a t- I want to make a t-shirt out of that. I know. Well, I mean, Hey, UCB had made a t-shirt, uh, but the, their New York theater closed sadly, um, because of COVID, but yeah, I mean, <gasps> it did. Yeah, it did. It was I like didn't a, know that. Yeah. It was a whole thing. It was, it was a big deal. So I think their LA theater is still open. Um, but yeah, the, the New York theater had, had closed because of COVID, which was like devastating for a lot of people. Cause that's where, I mean, so many, oh, so many people got started there. So well, many people. They, do they have plans of reopening? I don't know. I Maybe. don't know. I still, I still am friends with um, some of the like teaching faculty, but they're all at the LA one now. So I don't know. Um, oh, wow. But I, I mean, I, I will never forget that because it was a big green wall with like magenta-ish, orange-ish, reddish just paint awful. that just said, follow the fear. Um, which, which somebody did by using those colors together. That's amazing. Yeah. They follow the fear of using those colors. together. It was real. It was, it was something else, but I mean, I, it's etched in my brain forever. And, um, and I, I think about it all the time and I just think it's such a beautiful way to live. And, and, and also what you said reminded me of a conversation I'd had with somebody a couple of weeks ago. And, um, he mentioned, uh, this quote, and I think it's one of those quotes that like often gets attributed to the wrong person. So, yeah, uh, I think yeah. it's been attributed to like Mark Twain or Irvin Yalom or something like that, but it's something to the effect of like, 
you, they say you die twice. There's the day that you stop breathing. And then there's the day that somebody last mentions your name. And it's oh, like, man. right. I have, I have this right here on a note about dealing with that. I had, cause I was working on like a post about this. It's it's a, it, yeah. And so it led us into this whole conversation about like, man, like what, how do you live a life in a way that like creates legacy and, and think about the people that, you know, still to this day, I mean, think about, I mean, anyone from Moses to Jesus, to Abraham Lincoln, to like, how do you live a life and leave a legacy where people for hundreds, if not thousands of years, millennia are continuing yeah. to mention your name because of a legacy that you, you lived. And See, I don't, I don't like this at all. You don't, cause it, it or does it, is it cause it's, it's, it's too much why? pressure. It's too much pressure, that, hurts your brain. It's I, too much pressure. And it's, I, it's the, because those people, we remember them because they were put in unimaginable circumstances Yeah, and they had to, you know, I think the takeaway from that, at me as a spiritual teacher, I'm always like, the only reason we still tell old stories is because they're still happening today and they help us see that they're happening today. So I think, look, I want to be known and I want to be loved and all of that stuff. And so, but I could easily become like obsessed with trying to control that. Yeah. I, th I think the reason we should tell their stories is not to be like as a touch point or like a spreadsheet of how to become famous. <laughs> Which yeah. is happening in our culture a lot right now. That's what most people want to try to do is become famous. But I think what it people become famous because they've got in touch with like who they are. Yep. And and then they made a decision to live that out. Um, and then that came with it. Like you're not uh there's a great quote that my spiritual director sent me that's in uh Victor Frankl. Oh yeah, Victor Frankl, man search for meeting. He says yeah. this. He says I admonish in Man's Search for Meaning, he says, I admonish my students both in Europe and America, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you are going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue, and it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself. Yeah. You have to let it happen, not by caring about it. I want you to listen to what your conscious commands you to do and go on to carry it out the best of your knowledge. Then you will live to see that in the long run, in the long run, I say, success will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think about it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So that, and I, I think that it's like, what is success? Success is like seeing somebody doing, being alive. Yeah. You know, so the best thing you can do is make yourself fan that flame of aliveness in you. Yeah. And that, and I think that's where it comes from. I don't like what you're saying though, because I, if I'm honest, it's like, that is also a, a temptress that comes to me a lot. No, it's like yeah. trying to be more famous and successful. And I don't know how to control all that. And it makes totally, me feel like totally makes me feel like a loser. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I, and I think, and, and I realize now, like looking back, I worded it terribly the way I, I kind of followed up that quote um, and giving the example of like yeah. Abraham Lincoln and Jesus and Moses, like none of us are going to be that. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. So don't, don't mishear me in that. And that's not my goal either to like be lauded for millennia. Um, <laughs> that is not, yeah, I don't like stay up at night going like, how can people in the year 30 to 33 still be speaking about me? No. That is yeah. not at all what I mean. But I think more 
kind of looking at it from a perspective of how do you work for something that is bigger than yourself? And how do you come at it from that? Because like I, the person that comes to mind in my own personal life was uh, my mother. And mm. we don't have time to dig into all of that. And, and but the fact that, you know, she died nearly 20 years ago. And yet to this day, like, I get emails all the time from people who uh, have, are reading her book and say, you know, I, I read your mom's book and, uh, you know, I went to Google her after, um, I read it and I saw that she died 20 years ago. And I just, you know, I, I just want to say what the impact that her story had on me. And I just think like, she was just, she was an incredible woman and she served in Vietnam and then she came home and she told her story and it, Mm -hmm. but she told it from a perspective of a woman who, um, who was deeply, deeply troubled and, and, and suffering after, um, you know, kind of going to Vietnam, this very young, idealized, like naive young woman who was like, I'm going to go and, you know, put boys back together. And that just wasn't what actually happened. And so, um, Mm. and no, no women were really talking about their experience in war at the time. And so here we are 20 years later and, and, and the, the path that she, she kind of paved for women veterans was revolutionary at the time. And so, Mm. you know, but I think about that in that, like, she didn't, you know, do anything, quote unquote, remarkable. All yeah. she did was she she came from a place of I'm going to I something like you said, something happened to me. Something happened to her. Something exactly. happened to her. And she didn't decide ahead of time what she wanted to do. Correct. She she lived her life and something happened to something her. Happened going, to her. Sorry. No, yeah. Something happened to her. No, absolutely. Something happened to her. And talking about it was healing. Mm. talking about it was healing. And that was I mean, she talked about for years how writing her book was um was was a form of therapy for her um, because she'd gone to therapy when she got back from Vietnam uh, and didn't even tell her therapist that she was that she served in Vietnam. Like that's how much she wow. was like dealing, struggling with with all this. And anyway, I I digress and I could go off on a whole other tangent. But um, but I I, I think that's she's who I think about when I hear that quote is like there was nothing, you know, exceptional or remarkable about her. Yes. I mean, she was my mom and I think she was exceptional and remarkable, but in the grand scheme of society, like she wrote, she wrote a book and she told her story because something happened to her and talking about it was healing and it, and it helped other people. And I don't remember exactly your, your third and fourth point, but I think it kind of speaks to all of that. You know what (laughs) I mean? You know? Um, And so that, that I think is more coming from that place of working from identity and also living life in such a way where you're living, you're, you're alive and you are then sharing those experiences with other people because it, it humanizes us all and it, and it connects us and it gives us the opportunity to be like, Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not alone in that. Absolutely. You know, anyway, thoughts, queries, uh, (laughs) suggestions, follow-ups. I think, I I think that's, I think that's it. I think as you go, your mom sounded sounds tremendous. Uh, I think as you go, you just yeah. What what is? I mean, I think you can go like. I think there's a mix of like, where do you want to go, and then what is also happening to you, mm-hmm. um, and paying attention to those things. And um, like for example, I'm tr- I'm trying to work on like then I have a couple ideas for the next thing to talk about to do a show or something like that. And my life has during COVID has had a lot of loss, but it's been, I have young children. So often the place I can go is like, my life is so boring, not doing anything. (laughs) Like one of my, one of my best friends is, you know, 
she's uh she's a gay black woman and her she and we were just hanging out and she's just like i never feel like my life's boring and i was like that's because you don't have little kids to take care of I'm like <laughs> like i just like because my so i so I have, was like, what if we went into, what's that statement? My life is so boring. Well, I was like, because I have nonstop dishes and laundry and all of these things. And then I was like, well, what if you went into the history of all of those things? Surely other people have partaken in that. And, and then I started developing kind of like a, a narrative about like, you know, because I've heard other people say my life is so boring. Where, where do we come from that? Like, is it juxta, is it bouncing off of like what we see in Avengers movies and we think our life should look like that? Or is it just like, these are, you know, but isn't like it miraculous that we have dishwashers and we have running water and all of this, this is the best time to be alive, all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's like hitting the statement and then going into it. Like, what is it you're going through? You know, what is it, what's happening to you right now from the artists and creators that I really admire? It's like, they're taking the time to look at what they're going through. Yeah. And then I think there's this, like, also, where do you want to go? And I am paying attention to that. It was like, I'm setting some goals. Like I would like to perform at the Fringe Festival in Scotland one day. And I don't think I'm ready for it yet, but I'm like, what if in two years, what does it look like to become the kind of person that can bring something to that, to it? You know, what is the problem? Like that is a process I want to go on, a process of transformation. So I think there's like this, what's happening to you? And then where do you want to go? And you're kind of in the mix of these. I also understand like, and then, a lot of the book and, and the show is about embracing the vulnerabilities you have. Because what why a dream dies is a dream is a version of yourself without any vulnerabilities. Mm. You've never had a dream where you had weaknesses. Usually a dream scenario is a scenario where you don't have to embrace and live with your limitations. And so the only way forward in your life is to walk with your limitations. I have a three and a half year old. He's going to be four in a couple months. I understand that in like two years, my life is going to be dramatically different. Um, even like he might even start in some program this spring and I have some more time again. Uh, but the number one thing that happens at a grocery store when I'm walking around with him is older adults come up to me and they go, this is such a fun time. It goes so fast. And you're like, please come over and babysit because it yeah. can't go fast enough. Yeah. But then I understand that there might be a point in my life where I look back and go, and it went so fast. So mm -hmm. I, there's a bit of me that's like, it's still ambitious, but going, I don't want to miss what this is either. Yeah. Like this is, so there's just kind and I'm, so there's a bit of like pushing on the break of like, <laughs> uh, you know, accomplishment to go, do, am I just enjoying this? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that kind of stuff, because maybe I'll get there later. One of my practices for sanity and keeping with it, which is in the book is, uh, I'm on my way instead of, I'm never going to be, or nothing can change these arguments that typically like lead to depression or feeling like you're never going to get out of the situation you're in. I'm on my way. I think it's a graceful way to give you a longer timeline to be like, I'm in a process. I'm on my way. I'm headed towards somewhere and I'm just where I'm at in that process. And so I just often say like, I'm on my way to being a great artist. And I'll probably make, and this is just something I say to myself is like, I'll probably make my best stuff in my sixties. So what that does is it, it allows that what I'm doing now to go, this is part of that process. This might even inform that process later. It also means like, I'm not done. If I don't get something out in the next few, few weeks, it doesn't mean my career is over. It might ebb and flow, but it's going to be there in my sixties. Uh, I'd like to, it makes me want to stick with it because I want to see what I make in my sixties. Yeah. It just, 
I'm on my way gives me uh, it allows me to give a lot longer timeline uh, versus what our calculating brains, our ego brains go, you have to do this right now. And if it doesn't work out, you're over and you're done and you're meaningless. And, and so I have, uh, that's one of my practices I do to, to help me with that. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely, I'm also a parent of young kids and um, but my youngest just turned six, uh, and I was putting together his little annual birthday video and I was going back and I just like found myself being that mom who's just sitting there sobbing and my husband comes yeah. in and he's like, are you okay? And I was like, it was so tiny. And like, you know, yeah. and I, and I look back and I, I think about, no, I don't remember like what I was doing, uh, work wise at the time. I mean, I remember that there were like, I remember when he was a baby, like the first year of his life, he only nursed, he would not take a bottle. So yeah. I was, he was physically yeah. attached to me six time. to eight times a day for an entire year. And so I had all these conferences and things I had to go to, and I just took them with me. And I actually, I, I look back on that and I got that little one-on-one -on -one time with him and I love it. Um, but other than that, like there are so many times like him as a toddler where I regret, like, I remember at the time being like, I just want to snuggle and take a nap with him. But yeah. then I like look back and I was like, no, I need to get some work done. I don't remember what work I did, but I remember I didn't snuggle and take a nap with him. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, that's, uh, we could go off on a whole nother time. And here I am, like, I'm just taking up all your time. No, no, this I'm, is great. You know, I feel like this is a good, I think we, if we cover any more, like the gods are going to get mad at <laughs> dispensing so much wisdom. So much and they're gonna, wisdom. They're going to come and ask for tribute. We're so making it I think, rain I wisdom. Think if you want more from us, let's do a part two. Yeah. Uh, email Molly or I and tell <laughs> yeah. us that you want more and we can do another one. We'll just but do a whole I, thing. But I think you, we covered a lot and yeah. thank you for being such a gracious host and a conversationalist. This and has I, been so good. Uh, it really motivated me. One of my goal, like one of the things, how do I want to feel this year? Uh, like I just went to, I was just in LA and I went I, and I happened to be there my friend did stand up for the first time and I went to this show. Like I was way out in Ojai at this really nice resort. And I was like, forget it. I'm driving an hour and a half to LA and then I'm driving back. It was, I was in, in LA as long as I was driving I um, to go see it. And it was tremendous. And I saw some improv and comedy and I was just like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to try an improv class. I want to try to write comedy. I want to try to do that stuff. So it just, even talking with you about it. And I understand like, it's not in my cards right now to be like, go to New York city, go to LA, try it out or whatever. But yeah. I'm like, but what, here's the thing. It's like all the things, you know, is all that, you know, so then we have to go, well, what don't I know about what I could do? Yeah. Like there's plenty of avenues to do comedy. There's plenty of ways through your phones, online, even your family. It doesn't have to start with 200 people in a room. It can yep. start with like 10, 15. Yeah. You know what's scratching my itch currently is reels. Yeah. Reels on Instagram and I'm okay with it. And jo Joy was actually, Joy Egretree was saying, she was like, uh, yeah, I can totally see that. Because, and as silly as it is, like little making little six to seven, 10 second funny reels on Instagram is like, that is scratching my comedy itch. And I don't oh, yeah. care if anybody else doesn't like it, but it is like where I am coming alive. <laughs> that's, great. that's great. That's great. It's really true. I, I need it. to like, this is a 44 year old talking. I need to like, actually I've made one reel. <laughs> I feel like I'm like, I kind of know how to do it. I think yeah. I can do it again. Yeah. You can. And that's one of the things. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm challenging. I know. You. I, I follow it. a couple of people uh, like Lisa Gilroy. Do you know who she is? I don't. She's 
so funny. And I've seen her on some commercials lately. I was like, oh, this worked out for her. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, she has she has uh, a character base. She uh, personified her period, which oh, people have done before. You yes, know her? yes. Big oh my red gosh. Yes. And she's like, hey, I got everything ready to make the a baby. Uterus, I'm going to do that. The uterus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her. She's like, no, we're, we're not going to make a baby. And it's like, what? I got it already. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because, oh, that is, okay. Really <laughs> I'm not quick. a woman, but I married a one. But I, that's, uh, that character is so funny. Okay. Oh my gosh. Just yesterday, I kid you, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Just yesterday, my husband goes, what was that video you showed me a while ago with the woman who was like personifying her period? And I was like, (laughs) yes. And he was laughing about it. And I was like, I can't remember her name. Thank you so much because he's going, my husband's going to be so, he's like, oh yes, that was it. Yeah. I just love that we were just talking about it yesterday. Thanks for listening, Lisa. I know. Anyway. Okay. Here, I could have you on all day. um, And I, this has been so rich. This has been everything I'd hoped and dreamed it would be. Um, But before we go, we ask just a fun, a couple of fun, get to know you questions. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, all right. Question number one, what is your current guilty pleasure? Oh my gosh. My current guilty pleasure. Uh, Tony's chocolate honey flavor. Ooh, I, I don't so even know what that is, but I'm going to look it up honest. and I'm going to add it on my oh, list. Tony's chocolate is, uh, you can find it a lot at like Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. All right. On it. Ethically produced. Uh, I mean, my favorite is like caramel and salt, sea salt, but you're, like you're the sp- honey one speak is in my language. Speak in my language. Great. Um, okay. What currently makes you laugh the hardest? Uh, what makes me laugh the hardest, like just anything, anything. like just Could be anything, anything that like, makes me laugh. The what hardest? just really makes you laugh the hardest? I feel like it's something that I've, Oh, I have this, I saw a TikTok video of these two cats, like standing up and they're kind of just like pawing each other. <laughs> and then whoever did it made up a song about like the cats are singing, like doing like a patty cake song and it's I'll send, I'll, I'll send it to you. Please but do. like my kids and I quote it all the time. It's just these cats like standing. It looks like they're fighting like their ears are down, but they're just like playing doing. And it's, it's like, uh, <laughs> uh, what is it? How does this start again? I'm just, kitty cat, kitty cat. I want a mouse. Catch me a mouse as fast as a mouse. And no, we just, cause we got two kittens a couple months ago. And so we just, we always quote that. Anyways, it, I laugh so hard, just always about it. Anyways. I love it. Fantastic. It's, it's a gift. Um, cats, cats. That's what makes me laugh. I love it. Um, okay. What is currently on your most played playlist on like Spotify, Apple music, Pandora, wherever you're listening to music. Mm, yeah. I make monthly or uh, seasonal playlists. Ooh, um, I not, like it. not anything curated. It's more of just like, it's like a, a place to dump stuff I hear. So in my winter, I guess, cause I haven't quite hit spring. Yeah, no, it's not I spring I yet. My, I think it's my winter 2022, probably the most listened to has been the song called I've Grown Accustomed to Her Face by Rex Harrison in the movie, uh, My Fair Lady. Oh, so, I know we're trying to end, but this is a story. So Please do. Bob Saget died yeah. uh, a, a month ago, a couple months ago. And uh, there's some stuff around his autopsy that I was reading last night, which is they just don't know, but he suffered some kind of head injury yeah. all by himself. Anyways, a week after he had died, Ben Folds on Instagram just wrote this like heartfelt, like a guy, like, a love letter to his friend. Mm. And, and he's just like, Bob, 
was like my dear friend and he would, we apparently they were live close by and he's like, he'd come over all the time. We just sit in my yard around a campfire for like three hours and we'd just talk and talk. And it was just like this beautiful love letter, like that you don't often see from men, you know, yeah. like a man to a man. And um, one of the things he said, he's like, we would just talk about everything from, you know, going to Mars to what version of I've grown accustomed to her face is the best, which is we both agree is Rex Harrison's kind of spoken word one from my fair lady. And I'm like, I don't even know what this is, <laughs> like what they're talking about. So I went and looked it up on Spotify and I've just, I've listened to it like every day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's just him. And then I watched my fair lady, which is uh really, Mas misogynistic and uh, it's really bad. You're like very dated, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful song. Anyways, I love it. I love that. That's, what I've been listening to That's really cool. That's a really great answer. Um, okay. And then my last question is the question I ask all my guests and it is, uh, Scott, what does it mean to you to run and, and work a business with purpose? Mm. I think you have to smoke what you sell. I mean, I, I really think like you, the way I view myself as an artist is I'm inviting people into a transformation. Yeah. And so I have to go through the transformation first. So I'm always wary about pitching something that I'm not doing myself. Mm, and yeah. um, so that is just my work as a creative, like all my visuals, all my books, all my storytelling things are, it's like the journey I'm willing to go on first and I'm not trying to lie to you. So I think, I think we've all like got a product or went to some restaurant and being like, what are you doing? Do you even believe in this? Like, I think people <laughs> yeah. want to experience what you believe in. Yeah. Um, and so that's what it means to run a business with purpose for me. I love that. Yeah. Scott, this was so much fun. Uh, Thanks, Molly. I, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for all the work that you do and the way you uniquely put it out into the world. Uh, well, I appreciate it. I'll take that today. Thank you. Did I not tell you that you would love Scott? My gosh, what an incredible guy. I loved him. Please give him a shout out on Instagram or Facebook. Let him know that you loved this conversation. And be sure to tune in next week where my guest is Heather Adams, the CEO of Choice Communications. We talk all about using your influence for good and how do you kind of find your way in a world that is sometimes shouting at you. We had such an incredible conversation. I know you're going to love it. As always, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're new here, welcome, friend. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Be sure to check out the archives for so many incredible past shows featuring just some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, activists, authors. And if you would take a moment to click that subscribe or follow button and leave us a review, it would mean the world to me. And if you're one of my regulars that who, that's just here with me week in and week out, thank you for your support. Just be sure to head on over to iTunes or you know, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you are. And again, click that subscribe or follow button because that is the biggest thing that you can do to help make sure that this show continues to grow. We are rapidly approaching episode 300, which is just incredible, incredible, incredible. I can't, I honestly cannot believe it. As always, I have to thank the incredible team for producing the show over at Third Wheel Media. Now, thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. <laughs>